Hello, today we have a special program talking about some news that have come out from the Vatican and also speaking a little bit about the duvia that were issued a few weeks, months ago perhaps. We have a quote from St. Teresa of Avila and another quote from Aristotle in today's show. Stay tuned, this is The Catholic Wire. You are listening to The Catholic Wire. Hello and welcome back to The Catholic Wire. This is your host, Father Carlos Cepeda. I guess we have decided that we're going to do one show every year. So that is kind of our setting that we have right now. We've been really busy working on some special projects. Say a prayer for those projects so that we can finish them if they are the will of God. If not, so that at least we grow in humility by not being able to finish them. Okay, today we have a special program. We need to talk about a topic that is sad. It's very important to speak of it, um, but it's... Uh, is relevant. It's, it's, it clears things a lot, I think, for most people. However, we know that in this program, we usually try to do positive things as well. We try to, to do something that is going to make our day better as well. And so we're going to start with a little bit of natural philosophy, natural wisdom, you could say. This is a quote from Aristotle. Pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. Pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. Very true quote. What he's saying is, when you try to find positive things in your chores, in your duties, in your work, uh, in your job, let's say, you will find that your job will be made more efficiently, that you will do it in a more, uh, with a lot more talent, with more perfection, simply because when you are cheerful, when you're happy about something, you work better at it. And so a lot of times today, for example, if you're listening to this as you're working, uh, try to keep that in mind. You could do your chores, your job in a very bitter way, just dealing with the day-to-day, just doing it for money. Or you could actually find the positive things about it, try to see how that develops your personality, your character, what kind of challenges are good for you to grow as a person, what kind of things you can offer up to God as well. And if you try to find those positive things in your work, you will find that you will do it better, more efficiently, and it will be a vicious circle, you could say, but on the opposite. It will be a virtuous circle. So that's a good good possibility that you have there. Okay, let's go to some of the news today. Um, This is not news. This has happened a long time ago now, but uh, you know that we just had in the Vatican II church uh, this new religion that was made with the Vatican II. we had something called the Synod of Synodality, which is uh, superlative to tell you this is something very, very, very bad. The Synod of Synodality was a group of bishops, of uh, ecclesiastical dignitaries, getting together to discuss and to see how many words they can ram into 500 pages so that you can not read them. Now, I'm being sarcastic, but it's not a, a topic that we should take humorously. It's a very sad topic, very serious issue. Let's begin by mentioning something that is uh, important. The church, the, strict, the, the structure of the church is hierarchical. That means it is monarchical, actually. Monarchical comes from the Greek word monos, one. And that means that it has to have one head. St. Robert Bellarmine speaks at length of this in his books about the papacy. The synod of synodality 
which is really mortifying just to say the name. The synod of synodality in itself, it's something that goes against what would be, what should be the structure of the church. Now, this is not the Catholic Church. I'm not worried about that at all. But for those who still believe it is, it is important to notice that, that you're having a church that is ruled by democracy and that is entirely against the concept of the church. This is an error that stems all the way back from Vatican II, where they brought the concept of collegiality, that the church was ruled uh, by the bishops in union with the pope. And that is not the case. The ruler of the, of the church is only the pope. I'm not saying things verbatim, but that is pretty much the, the concept of it. So just the idea that you have a synod passing or coming up with laws or with uh, doctrinal definitions or even just doctrinal tendencies, that is dangerous enough. You're already operating the church in a way that is not designed to work. It is very different to have a pope that is an authority that is helped, aided by congregations, even by councils, than to have a pope that says, okay, I'm going to submit to what the synod says. Why is this dangerous to you? It, it might seem like I'm just, you know, uh, finding straws, but why is this dangerous? It has long been a, a tactic of the communists and of all tyrannical governments to create bureaucracies that implement changes, tyrannical changes, uh, by an authority that has no face, no personality, no one to go to. It's the blob that you could say. And so, for example, if you have one person that is imposing to you evil laws or tyrannical laws, it would be very easy for you to retort, to retaliate, to stop it. But if you have a bureaucracy where you don't know who is in charge, where there is just a group of people, where everyone can blame each other and no one is to blame, then it is impossible for you to resist. That's why for the longest time, the communist governments, this is how they change uh, their systems in order to oppress the people and bring tyranny on them. And this is what's happening in the church right now that is ruled by a communist mafia, basically. The reason why you have a synod doing these things and coming up with these doctrines is because that way Francis can elude the responsibility and not be blamed publicly by these things, and no one else can be blamed either. So it's a very bad thing. It's a very serious issue. And you see the results. Now, before this uh, wonderful Robert Council, you could say, uh, some of the traditional cardinals and bishops, and I, quote, I put it between quote marks, issued another document with a, a set of dubia. Um, dubia means questions. And the questions, are, I'm going to go over them very quickly. That one of them says, okay, we have a question, Francis. Um, are you saying that divine revelation has to be reinterpreted? It can be changed, basically, according to the cultural changes. The second question, are you saying that the generalized practice of blessing the unions between people of the same sex, it's concordant with revelation and magisterium? And question number three, are you saying that the 
the church is synodal by nature, meaning not monarchical, but rather led by a group, by a council, by a synod, whatever you might call it. The other questions are around the same, the same ballpark. Now, before we even go into the questions and the answers that have already been given and were just non-answers, basically, there is a, con a thing that, that it's worth of notice. I, I would ask this question. Let's say that Francis actually answers by saying, yes, I'm going to change Revelation. And yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow people of the same sex to get, to get blessings for their unions. What would they do? Do you think they would say, well, he's not the Pope anymore. He's a heretic. Let's select another Pope. Or do you think they would say, I renounce my office as a cardinal and bishop and all these luxuries that I have, and, and I'm out of this. I'm going to go and, you know, be like Bishop Bigano living in someone's mansion somewhere or wherever he lives. They wouldn't do anything. Nothing at all. How do you know? Because this has happened already. Francis has been doing this from the very from before he was a pope. When he was archbishop in Argentina, he was the one pushing for the legalization of the unions of homosexual unions. He was doing it already before he was a pope. He has supported uh, Cardinal Maradiaga, who is a non-supporter of homosexuals, a scandalous person. All throughout his, from the very beginning of his papacy, he was inviting transgenders to Monday, Thursday, having dinner with them, inviting Father James Martin, who is a, a known person that, you know, supports homosexuality and LGBT and all that stuff. This has been happening for ages, for years. No one has said anything. No one has done anything about it. So no, they wouldn't do anything. And why, why, why do I bring that up? Because people have this illusion that, well, there are these conservative uh, bishops and cardinals, you know, there's hope, they're going to do something about it, let's stay here. And that's the problem. What this is, th th it takes no effort to see it. What this is, is controlled opposition. You have some people in there that appear to be on your side, and then when this guy is saying this radical thing, these guys pop up, voicing your concerns, but in a totally ineffective way. It's what you see in the conservative parties here, in Mexico, everywhere, also in the church. It's a controlled opposition. I've said this before, I will say it again, many times probably. You do not get to be a cardinal in the Vatican without being checked and double-checked and supervised and controlled. You don't get to those positions at random. So there's no way that these people would do anything if Francis were to answer in a negative way. It's just a controlled opposition. That also explains why Francis, on the one side, gives you a conservative, apparently, answer, and on the other side, gives you something entirely outrageous. If you look at the page in the Doctrine of the Dicastery of the Faith, or, or rather, the Dicastery of, for the Doctrine of the Faith, quote-unquote. Uh, if you look at that page, you have one document that says, we're never going to bless unions, uh, homosexual unions, although they have very positive things that are to be considered. 
it's a sin. It's a very grievous sin. But, but there are positive things in the sin that you can consider. That's what they're saying. And then the next document is the one that we're going to review just now, where they allow transgenders to participate in the sacraments. And that leads us to our, our next uh, news, our next, next piece of news. But before we go there, I want to give you some good news. So we do have something that I haven't mentioned because I haven't had time to do any shows. We're working on some special projects, as I said. But something that has been requested has already been done. We are uploading the music from the, the seminary, Sacred Music, all the CDs from the Sorsum Corda and the CDs from the first masses that have been recorded in the past are being uploaded as we speak. Uh, well, as we speak, like, you know, in these weeks and days. But uh, so we have right now, if you look up Mater Dei Seminary in YouTube, um, it will be a little bit hard to find, but it's there. You have all the music that we are uploading. You can also find it on Amazon. It's ready for purchase in there and in Apple Music and Spotify. And so you will find there, uh, especially the CD of the First Mass from 2020. This includes my First Mass, the First Mass of Father Weissensteiner and of uh, Father Maguire. And you find in there some very beautiful pieces. One of them that I was asked about very much was the Sanctus, uh, the Sanctus and the Benedictus of that First Mass. So you can find them now. You can find them on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Music and support it. You know, when you listen to them, through those means, it has, it's actually supporting the church. Um, every time that you listen to them in Spotify or Apple Music, I'm sure that uh, there is a commission that is gained. So, you know, that always helps. But it's there. It's available, and that's great news. We're uploading more uh, as we uh, progress in this project. Okay, let's go to the next piece of news. This is recent, from two days, three days ago. A bishop from Brazil sent another document asking a number of questions regarding transsexuals, or rather, yeah, trans people, I should say. Before we go into this topic, I think that there is something that is, is very important to, to make note of. The, as a Catholic, you don't hate a transsexual person or a transgender or you don't say transsexuals anymore, but we don't hate transgenders or homosexuals or anything like that. You don't. Personally, one has nothing against anybody like that uh, because it's sin, yes, but we're all sinners. So personally, there's nothing wrong in, in or rather personally, we, ho we hold no grudges against anybody. Now, there is a big difference However, between a personal sin and what is preaching of sin, promoting sin, uh, causing other people to accept it or to, to commit it, or even worse, uh, demanding that you accept it and you celebrate it. The second uh, set of things that I mentioned is what we call scandal, and that's very different. It's not the same to commit a sin privately, we all do, than to preach sin and teach it. That is evil. That is scandal. That is causing harm to other people. And that we have the duty to stop it, to not accept it, to not uh, agree to it at all. That is what we're talking about when we are speaking about the whole LGBT agenda. 
because the LGBT agenda wants you to accept sin, participate in it, and celebrate it. And that's what we oppose, the doctrine. No one hates the people or the person in particular. You oppose, and fiercely, you oppose the doctrine. Because the doctrine is harmful. It hurts people. It causes damage, the most serious damage that there can be, spiritual damage. Having said that, let's go to the questions that were asked to Francis. Question number one. Can a transgender person be baptized? The answer is in the document from the Vatican, six paragraphs. I would limit myself to say no. Question number two. Can a transgender person be a godfather or godmother in baptism? Same answer, no. Can a transgender be a witness in a matrimony? This one is a little bit more complicated. We will speak of that. Can a homosexual person uh, figurate or, or function as the parent of a child that is going to be baptized? In other words, can we baptize a child that two homosexuals living together bring? And can a homosexual person be a godfather for a baptism? Or a witness? That's the sixth question. A witness in matrimony. Okay, there are several things here that are worth mentioning. The first thing that is worth mentioning is that the answers are long, confusing, ambiguous. In other words, they are perfectly fitting with Vatican II. Okay, let's make a few distinctions here. We, we're speaking of uh, witness in matrimony and baptism. And there are some distinctions here. In the matters that they mention in baptism, the person that is involved in this way in baptism is involved sacramentally. So, for example, when I'm a godfather or godmother of, in baptism, I actually acquire uh, a certain relationship with that person. Now, in Vatican II, they, they have abrogated that supposedly. But the point is that there are duties that I receive as a godfather or a godmother. When I receive the baptism, there's, there is a sacramental issue there. Being a witness of matrimony is almost just a legal aspect in it. There is, uh, you don't even have to be Catholic to be a witness in a matrimony. That's all you're doing, being a witness. So theoretically, yes, it shouldn't matter whatever you are or whoever you are, in theory. Where is the problem? Well... If you bring a person to be a witness in a matrimony, they're participating in the ceremony, they have to enter the church, you're obviously giving them some recognition as a person that you accept in your circle, in your family. In other words, a person that you think is okay to be related to you and to be with you. And in any case of scandal, we should not do that. Let me give you an example to illustrate it. Let's say that I'm a priest and that in the church enters a person with notorious satanic insignia. You know, a, a shirt with the five stars and, and a 666 in the forehead and all kinds of stuff like that. 
I would not allow this person to enter the church and to participate in the ceremony, even if it's not sacramentally. Why not? Because it's a blatant offense against God. You are notoriously publicly offending God, teaching that. Therefore, you cannot be in this holy recent, in this sacred place. And so even as a witness of a matrimony, even if canonically, as the answer says, canonically, there's no objection to that. No, of course not. But there is a matter of scandal. And for that reason, no, you should not permit it. It should not be permitted at all. Regarding the question of baptism, the answer is even more, more serious. Because they say the, the first, they mention, well, not the first question, but they mention, can a transgender person be as a sponsor, a godfather or godmother? I said the answer is no. Why? Because when you become a, a sponsor in baptism, you are acquiring the obligations to teach the faith to the person that is being baptized. That obligation is serious. And for that reason, if you become an, a sponsor to baptism, you have to be a good Catholic in, in good standing and a practicing Catholic. Obviously, well, those are kind of uh, uh, redundant. But yes, a practicing Catholic. Now, if you're a person that is homosexual or transgender, it is obvious that you are not a practicing Catholic. You are living in scandal, in sin. For that reason, you are not qualified to be a sponsor for baptism any more than would be a communist or a person that doesn't even believe in the Catholic faith. So, there it would be wrong. But the, the most serious one is question number one. Can a transgender person be baptized? And this is the one that is the most wrong, the answer was the most seriously wrong, so much so that it's being celebrated by all, by all the leftist media out there, the Washington Post, the New York Post, the Associated Press, uh, CNN, all of those. Uh, the answer by the Vatican says, quote, they may receive baptism under the same conditions as other faithful, so long as this not, does not cause scandal or disorientation. So, Let's review this very quickly. In order for you to receive baptism, you have to be sorry for all your sins, all your mortal sins, just like confession. If you're not sorry for your mortal sins, for your serious and grievous sins, knowingly, and you receive baptism, you're committing a sin, a sacrilege. You're mocking the sacrament. You would receive baptism, it would be valid, but you would not receive the state of grace, obviously. You would be committing another sin. If the priest knows that, and he still gives you the sacrament, he is also committing sacrilege. And so what the Vatican is saying here is there is this person that is in sin, unrepentant, because that is what we understand by transgender, obviously. And they can receive baptism without repenting. And you as a priest, you can give it to them without them repenting. In other words, they commit a sin. You as a priest, you commit a sin. Do it. That's what the Vatican is saying. You see here the monstrosity 
which is not new. It's been happening for decades that the Vatican sends out notices and, and transcripts. The Code of Canon Law promulgated by John Paul II had things like this that basically promoted sin of sacrilege too. So it's not new, but you see how it is. Now, here's the ridiculous thing, the absurd and stupid thing. It says, you can do this as long as there is no scandal or disorientation. We, the Vatican, were sending a notice that everyone in the world is going to see, that all the news outlet are, outlets are going to see. And trust me, the Washington Post is not monitoring the Vatican, okay? This is something that, that you know, was informed to people. Everyone else is going to see it, but, you know, you make sure that you're secret when you do it. Don't let anyone fall into scandal. I'm telling everyone that they can do it, but you don't cause any scandal. It's insane. It's absurd. It's stupid. And I don't say this with any sarcasm whatsoever. It's a monstrous thing that these people are causing other people to sin, that they're causing scandal like that. So, I think what's very important for us to consider two points before we go. Uh, one is this. This is just another step in the process that is certainly going to happen of the Vatican approving transgenderism and the whole LGBT agenda. It's going to happen one way or another. I am firmly convinced of that. I might be wrong, but I'm, I, I think I would bet on it. Why is it not happening all of a sudden? Why is it going slow? The reason for this is, as I will mention in the sermon this Sunday, is that that's the strategy. It was, that it was written in a book in 1989, a book called After the Ball, written by two homosexuals. One of them was a marketing strategist. And they said the strategy has three steps. The first one is desensitizing. The second one is bombarding people with propaganda. The third one is conversion. Make them not only accepted but celebrated. The Vatican knows this strategy. These people in this mafia know it. And so they're following it. And what they're doing right now is, yes, they give you a little bit of conservatism, but at the same time, they desensitize you. It's not so evil, it's not so bad, as it says right there in the document from the dicastery. There are positive things about the unions of same-sex people. So this is a process. We're on that process. The world is ahead. The world is already in the conversion stage. The Vatican II Church, notice I don't say the Catholic Church, the Vatican II Church is going slower, but it's going on the same process. It's in that same train, it's just a few cars behind. The other thing that I would like to mention is this. This is obviously a topic that is going to be uh, a stumbling block for many people. It's going to be the, the defining factor to see who is going to stay in the Catholic Church and who is not. But it's not the most serious thing that has happened in Vatican II. Not by far. It is very scandalous, it is disgusting, it is more notorious. But the most serious thing has happened already a long time ago, back in the 60s. It's apostasy, heresy, and idolatry, which happened in the 80s, in the 2000s, and now again. Idolatry and apostasy and heresy 
are way worse than sins against the Sixth Commandment. This is notorious. Yes, this affects everyone. Yes, and that's why it's going to be a defining factor. But we have to understand, you know, when we look at these conservative cardinals and bishops that are fighting Francis over these things, they should have opened their mouths a long time ago when there were idols in the Vatican. That's when they should have opened their mouths. That is way more serious, way more serious than this. And so what, what does that leave us with? A very quick, simple conclusion. These organisms that are promoting sin, this hierarchy that is promoting sin, cannot be instituted by God. It cannot be, rather, it cannot be the true authority instituted by God. They are usurpers. They cannot be the true pope, the true bishops, the true cardinals. They cannot be the true Catholic Church. Where is the Catholic Church? It's still there. It's always going to be there till the end of time. It's going to be in the bishops that are faithful, in the priests that are faithful, even if there are a few, even if they are very few. But they will, they will always be there. That's where the church is. That's the only place where the church can be. It cannot be that the authority instituted by God is teaching us and leading us all into error, into immorality, into hell, ultimately. That cannot be. So, my dear friends, as we finish, all this should leave us with this notion that is very important. We are living in times where Catholics will be tried in their faith, in their morality, in their fidelity and perseverance. And therefore, we have a serious I would say duty, but I, I'd rather say necessity to be very faithful to our faith, very moral in our behavior, very devout in our prayers and perseverant in them. Make no mistake, this is persecution. It's moral persecution, it's religious persecution, it's strictly religious, not political, but it is persecution. You're being made a minority. You're being shunned. The true Catholic doctrine is being shushed. That is persecution. And we have to face it as Catholics have faced persecution all the time in the past. By prayer, by penance, by perseverance, by charity as well. So let's try to keep that, that intention and that, that you know, strong conviction in our heart. To take advantage of these things in order to sanctify ourselves. Now... I want to finish today because poor father, well, the priest that lives here with me, he's a couple rooms ahead and it's 11, 17 p.m. And I bet the poor, the poor man is trying to sleep and I'm not letting him. So let's finish with a quote from St. Teresa of Avila. She said, let us try to see always the virtues and good things in others and to cover their defects with our great sins. Have everyone by better than you. I know that I'm not going to get many comments, uh, vicious comments about my theories or rather my positions regarding Francis. But so let, let's skip that and let's go straight into this quote. It is so useful in your personal life to try to forget of the sins and defects of others. 
I'll, I'll have to make this note, personal sins. Because someone was, might say to me, well, why don't you do the same way with, with Francis and all these people? No, no. Personal sins I don't have a problem with. If anybody like Francis or any other cardinal or whatever commits personal sins, who doesn't have them? I have them. Everybody has them. Uh, the problem is that they're not committing personal sins. We're talking about doctrines. They're preaching sin. But in your daily life, when you're not talking about doctrine, when people around you commit sins, they have defects, even very serious ones, the best thing you can do is forget about them as much as you can. Granted, sometimes you have to suffer very serious things. Sometimes there's people that are very insistent in their sins, in their problems. We'll deal with that day by day. But don't keep in mind the things from the past. Always try to forget them. Always try to deal with them as if it was a brand new day today and you just met them. If you do this, you will have a lot of peace. You will be able to be very humble and you will be able to be very charitable. And I like, I like what St. Teresa says. She says, cover their defects. It's, it's interesting that she doesn't say, cover their sins with your sins. She says, cover their defects. Because you, you can't even tell if they're a sin or not, or not. Maybe they are not. Cover their defects with your sins that you know are sins. You know, take these big sins that you have and just cover the other people, people defects. Focus on your own stuff. You have plenty. We have, I, I don't know about everyone. I know that I do. So that is very helpful for your spiritual life. We end with that note today. And I encourage you again to go to the Catholic Wire and check out those, uh, well, not the Catholic Wire, but look up the channel by Matter Day Seminary. Look up all that music that is to be found in there. And make sure you support in what ways you can uh, the seminary, especially with this uh, endeavor of uh, putting sacred music at uh, the availability for everyone. This is Father Carlos Opeda, uh, keeping Father Quimenton awake at <laughs> 11.20 p.m. I'm sorry, Father. And well, I wish you all a very happy weekend. May God bless you. <laughs>